Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Right Time. Away sports and entertainment original presented by Prize Picks. My name is Bomani Jones. Thanks for watching us on YouTube. Thanks for listening wherever you get your podcasts. Rate us, review us, give us five stars. You only give us four stars. I'm inclined to believe you are a hater. Also, subscribe, like, all that. Cool. Fosworth Friday. That would be Fosworth. What's going on? And it's one of them weeks that uh, you get reminded. Sometimes you forget in like titles and big fancy suits. You think that people are in charge are smart and they got a plan. We're reminded that they don't know what the hell they're doing, most of them. Look, man, I saw the commissioner of the NBA decide to tell the world that Henry Kissinger was a great diplomat. What? Like, I saw that. You I was s- like, hey, hey, so, you, you didn't have to do this at all. You forwarded that tweet to me, and I assumed it was on McAfee's show, and I assumed, like, the, ra- the way that the tweet was worded, it, to me, it was like it didn't say who said the, the Kissinger part. And I was like, that's a weird thing for McAfee to say. Because I saw a yeah, man in like, a tank top. Had- Not in the man in the suit, the <laughs> one that said the thing. And he also, like said, I was reading the obituaries. No, you weren't. You weren't reading those. Like, I could understand if you are so caught up in basketball that you, you skipped history class and you don't know what Henry Kissinger was up to, but you did not read not one. I read the entire New York Times obituary. It took me a couple of days to get through that thing, but you know what I did not walk away thinking? Man, I sure would love to meet this great diplomat. Like they they essentially said he's a war criminal. What are you doing? Yo, yo, first of all, uh, rest in peace to Henry Kissinger. Second of all, <laughs> when the email came through for the New York Times with the obit of Henry, but for the Henry Kissinger obit, I was reading it through the email, and every time I thought it was over, <laughs> it was just beginning. And the other part is Henry Kissinger lives so goddamn long. He lived to be a hundred years old that somebody who was on the staff to write that obit has been dead for over a decade. Because when something like this happens, it's not like Henry Kissinger died and they're like, yo, we need 15,000 words, stat, can you do it? They've been working on this obit for the longest. This is one that's been in the can. That thing probably been in the can for 30 years. At least 30 years with Kissinger. And every time I read it, I was like, oh, wow, this is still going. I didn't get to the end because it just kept going. And wow, so many war crimes. Like, there was no way around it. This isn't one of those things where, like, we're, we're being liberal with it, right? We're being loose. We, we no, 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 no. The whole point of it, and they were being as nice as they could in the New York right. Times. The whole point of it basically was, wow, this guy was a really big deal, but, you know. Yeah. <laughs> war crimes at every turn. And Adam Silver's all with Pat McAfee. We didn't even get to the whole part about Pat McAfee being the person to ask the hard-hitting questions. <laughs> Pat McAfee being like, hey, Adam Silver, do you feel you got a role in international relations? And Adam Silver got up there and started talking about reading Henry Kissinger obits and called him one of our great diplomats and, and, and threw in a, 
I'm big on our military. I'm a big supporter of the military. And then said a bunch of stuff that had nothing to do with Henry Kissinger, nothing to do with the military. And I was just like, so, I mean, who, sh- who, what, are, what are you doing? Shout out to Pat for asking the question. However, I don't think Pat was trying to drill you. Pat was throwing you that question. All you had to do was throw one of those like platitude laden answers out and we was going to move on. It's like, yeah, it's a tough world. We do our part to guide things in the right direction. So about that in season tournament, sure liking these ball games, ain't we? <laughs> like you ain't on MSNBC, right. bro. Yeah, Pat McAfee was not going to hit him with no follow-up question. Mm, that I feel fine. that I feel very confident saying. I just saw that on the internet, and I was just like, somebody somewhere had to be like, yo, you've got to be kidding me. Because, look, this is an interesting part of the ESPN evolution, and I don't want to be one of those people who used to work at ESPN and talks about them all the time. But this can't be ignored. It used to be that if the – Whoever it was, like the commissioner, if he was going to do a TV interview on ESPN, he did it on Mike and Mike. Like that was the place for the big interviews. They get you out on radio and there was also a television component. That would be the place to do it. Fast forward seven years or so. You go do that now on the McAfee show. I mean, because the the I mean, I'm, my assumption when I saw him on there is like you're trying to reach a different audience like that. They're the people who he wanted to talk to are the people who uh, my assumption is why he said I love the military. It's because he was like, all right, we're going to get a little younger. And we're going to skew a little bit different than what I, it is perceived our base is. I love the military. Shout out to me being the Kissinger of basketball. What a ridiculous thing to say. Well, let me tell you this. You're not really drawing in the youngsters by making references to Henry Kissinger. I'm just throwing that out there right now. Like the youngsters are like, oh, "Oh, yeah, I've been looking for the next Henry Kissinger. I wasn't I wasn't saying that's who he was talking to by going on that program. Oh, yeah. There was the the opposite, yeah. I guess, of what they believe. That, that was the. Yeah. What they believe basketball. Yeah, that was, that um, was towards. Thought. Yeah. Yeah, man. I just. Wow. I, I we, we had even thought, said we was going to talk about that. And then I just remembered. Oh, yeah, that really happened. And that. Wow. Harry Kissinger, who. And I don't feel bad about saying this because he you know what I'm talking about here. Who is now at the top of the list on, like, he's still in the league? Oh. And you know they still in the league, but you just can't believe they still in the league. Like, oh, not I, one that'll pop up. Like, with Henry Kissinger, I don't think people were like, damn, I thought he was dead. Somehow we all knew. Nope, he's still here. I mean, I had to be honest. When I found out yesterday that Norman Lear died, I was like, oh, he, he just leaving yeah, the league. See, that's a great example. <laughs> like, that was a great example. Norman Lear, not sure people do. I, I, I knew that Norman Lear was still in the league, and damn, I lost my number one draft pick just that fast. <laughs> <laughs> He's off the board, man. No, that shocked me. I, I mean, I know all in the family and all Jeffersons and all that stuff that Norman Lear was a part of. And, I mean, I feel like all them people. Uh, have long since gone, and the person who created it was still hanging around till one oh one. Yep, I like to also note Norman Lear is a trick bag for me because I understand the argument of Norman Lear as progressive figure and maybe somewhat hero of sorts. But you know what else Norman Lear was, and this is something that people don't. This is gonna shock some people, right? Like the way that you can shock people when you tell them that they used to smoke on airplanes. You know, like, like, yeah, you will be trapped in that tube and people will be smoking. Like, I know there's a whole generation that can't believe that that was the case, but it was the case. 
they was writing in them Norman Lear shows in the scripts, like the N word, like Fred Sanford or George Jefferson, or even one of them good timers would be good to hit you with N word. What'd you say? It's like, Hey, Hey, Hey buddy. I know there wasn't a single black person in them rooms, in them rooms at all. Y'all, y'all out here living vicarious through this Norman Lear vision. Like it's, it's, it's a bit of that. It's a bit of that going on. It's funny. So like I, I've told you about this. I, I went on set recently for the show that I'm writing for, and I would write that word into my script and I would receive the script back with that word taken out because it was like, eh, <laughs> we, we ain't going to, I was thinking I could do this, but they, every time I put it in there, they pull that thing right out. They do not want that smoke. Apparently, Norman Lear felt differently. Put it all the way in the script. Nah, nah, man. Look, man, white people find that to be very daring and entertaining. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, like they, 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 any black person that's, I mean, it's, it's part of the Dave Chappelle allure to them is that Chappelle show was going hard on that in a way that nobody else was. And white people really, like, they can't do that. It's that forbidden fruit. When, yeah, the, when you were talking about the Kissinger thing, what jumped out to me is, wasn't Kissinger, what I mean, I'm saying wasn't, like, I don't know, I just read all the obituaries. He was out here talking to Nixon while he was in the Democratic um, administration in office. And that just jumps out to me as I'm reading all these other stories about what's popping in Carolina. It's the same sort of nonsense. Obviously, I wouldn't call anybody Kissinger. I don't know why your man, Adam Silver, who has been commissioning for long enough to know better, like why he would compare him to it. But it's just a funny thing to think about the way that people are ultimately, most people are self-interested and it takes a lot like to build a culture or an organizational culture and to build an institution that people are going to put the interests of the group ahead of their own. It takes a lot. It's hard to pull off. And in most situations, people will even compromise what is obviously immoral to to protect themselves, to protect their job. And that's what's happening all in Carolina and a few other teams, honestly. Woo! New York. Yo, I just you. Yeah, you sent the text this morning about the Hunger Games in Carolina. And I was like, damn, what the hell are you talking about? And then I went and looked it up. And I'm like, oh, David Tepper? No, 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 don't go work for that dude. Don't, don't go work for that dude. Like, I looked at their whole situation. It's like, oh, they're going to be doomed and terrible forever. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I mean, and he don't understand. So that's a job you take. He going to have to overpay to get somebody good and go ahead and accept that you're ending your career on a big check because you're not going to succeed there unless he changes, unless all this stuff. And that's the hard thing. If he opens his eyes and sees that he was a part of the Steelers organization, which suggests that he understands how to concoct an institution that functions normally and what you can and can't do but it also seemed like he ain't had no power there no pull there and now he got his hand <laughs> on the steering wheel he gonna jerk that thing all around yes. no nice to say he got a good seat to see how the Steelers work but that 
that didn't turn him into a different person, right? Like, he a wild man who got to see how regular people get down. He's like, damn, I guess. I mean, if that's how you want to do it, cool. And he's looking at, here's how he's looking at the Steelers. I mean, they ain't won no Super Bowl in 15 years. <laughs> Can you? I think that, that's, that's how, and, and y'all got to, so for this story in The Athletic, it's talking about how, like, Frank Wright was dealing with coaches and the general managers texted and emailing the owner about what was wrong with Bryce Young. And now the owner is calling the head coach in to tell him Bryce Young needs to work on his footwork. And I know damn well ain't no owner got the eye to have any idea about what that boy need to be doing with his footwork. Frank Wright getting in trouble because they said he wasn't being hard enough on uh, on Bryce Young. And I got to say, I feel like I only hear these stories about the Afro-American quarterbacks. Remember, this is the story also about Russell Wilson. I don't know if maybe the brothers is soft, but I feel like people just really get off on the idea of seeing somebody like they black asses up in front of people, calling it accountability. I'm not really sure. But you just read through the whole story in dealing with Tepper and the way he handles everything, and it's like, oh, this is a poorly run organization. The, so there's a bunch of stuff in there. So the stuff about um, being critical of Bryce Young, uh, Charts, the receiver, is like took the blame. This is the big, uh, like the big story that they tell as an example of it is he took the blame for uh, a play that didn't work. Essentially, it was because the coverage was misread by Bryce in his opinion, and uh, Frank Wright gets up at the podium and essentially kind of blames uh, Charts for. Um, going too deep on his whatever the specifics don't matter but the thing about situations like that is there is an objective answer so while you can try to skew and twist and turn things to protect your your player which I think you should do you can't put an objective answer out there that's going to fall on and blame one of your players no matter who that player is so like there is nobody in this story while I think David Tepper is the overall villain of this case there's nobody in here who is without blame the people who are going to him should be blamed the the coach who is protecting the quarterback and also not um establishing that this is the way that things are going to be done like he should be blamed but what it fundamentally comes down to is you brought up or i brought up the Steelers can you imagine somebody going around Mike Tomlin to Art Rooney or, or to any of the Rooney's they would be like, why are you telling me this? First of all, and Mike Tomlin would straighten that. Like that's the, you can't give people that choice because like I said at the beginning, most people are self-interested. If you give them an opportunity to like cozy up next to someone with more power or you give them an avenue to undercut someone else, like it's, it's, there's going to be a percentage of people that do that. And I do think that, while they should be blamed for doing it, the real issue is the people who've allowed this and, and made people think that this is okay. Yeah, this, I mean, wow. I just, I just, I, I, I got all the way through that and I just can't, like, either you in charge or you not, right? Yeah. It, it, and when you're not in charge, I guess I'm just way more comfortable with not being in charge if I'm not in charge. Like, about the one that's tripping, like, that's how I feel about that. Um, I can't imagine being so invested that I'm running around somebody's back to do these things. Yes, you can. I mean, I don't know that you could run around and do these things, but I can imagine you, like, a, a normal thing to do. All right, I'll just speak for myself. I have been a part of groups and teams and initiatives that weren't run in the way that I like them run. I come home and complain to my wife. I text my homeboys what I'm not going to yes. do. You know, like, I... 
I'm going to leave. That's what right, I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's what I mean. I mean, I've been involved in some poorly run operations before. and even been involved in the poorly run operation where I got access to the boss. But we just not, nah, nah, nah. We just not going, we just, we just not going to do that. Right. And, and, and in part, cause it's some sucker ass shit. But like, we just not, we, we, we just not going to be the ones to wind up doing that. I don't know, but I guess this is a little different because this is a, this is a world that involves a lot of, talking to other people about what's going on at your job, but not simply to vent, but also doing so in ways and places so that other people can hear it. Because then you think you might be able to get something to happen. It's like some super, it's really, really passive aggressive, but it hits really, really hard, right? Like it's a lot going on. What what you need them to understand is that if you succeed, everyone is better off. And I think honestly, most people understand that. But and I think when you know that there is only one way to go or there's only one path for success, then people will get on board and they'll sacrifice and they'll do whatever they can to make sure uh, they're doing their part to get us on that path to, to success. And then when there's a rough patch and they look around for an exit ramp and you've closed all, all those exit ramps, then they work a little harder. But the problem is you hit rough points and David, David Tepper has made it clear that there are exit ramps. Like, okay, yeah, this car is going to crash, but y'all can get off right here and stick around with me as long as you <laughs> tell me a little information. And of course, people are going to go yeah. to pass the, the path of least resistance. If I go over here and cozy up to and convince him that I'm good, that's a lot easier than fixing this roster and fixing this team and winning some games. And so that's why fundamentally it's always going to come back on Tepper for allowing this shit to happen. Yeah, because a big part in the story makes a point that I thought was interesting is that the defensive staff is largely the defensive coordinators, guys, mm -hmm. and they cool. Yep. Right. The offense, though, was a combination of Reich's guys plus Tepper guys, like people that Tepper, for whatever reason, insisted stick around. And then one of the Tepper guys was the special teams coordinator. He was named the interim coach. And the first thing he did was get rid of the, the rest of the right guys, got Josh McCown out of there, got Deuce Staley out of there, ran him out of town. I'm just like, oh, yeah, if you take this job, right, like this is – think about this for a second, man. The last owner was out here asking the young ladies, not asking, telling the young ladies to let him shave their legs. And somehow things now feel a little bit more dysfunctional. Like they may have been more abhorrent before, yeah. but it sounds like the office moved a little bit more smoothly than it does now. It's funny because the point that you were making about no owner is going to tell you about your footwork. There was a time in NFL history where owners could run the whole football operation. And that was because they were football yeah. guys. And I mean, Jerry Richardson is probably the last of those guys. Like he was a professional. He was an NFL football player. So while he may not, he probably yes. was up on general football stuff. And that's a way an organization can run. It can run from the tippy top all the way down if they, if they know what they're doing. But the chances of someone having the sophisticated understanding of football, you need to be making the decisions. And I think Al Davis is the best example. And it, it got past him, but it's the best example of it working. Is like he was making all of the decisions. You can't be at the top making some decisions here and some decisions there. And to your point about the collaborative staff, like a team of rivals is like a, a beautiful idea and it works if you don't got exit ramps. 
If you tie these people together and say, y'all got to figure this out. If you all sink, you all sink. If you all swim, you all swim. But no, that's not what they did. They tied all these people together with these disparate ideas. And I do think that diversity of thought and experience can lead to some better results, but they didn't force them. There was no, they didn't tie them together. They put them in there and it's like, hey, keep an eye on Frank. Let me know what he up to. I'm gonna give him a bunch of money and suggest that I trust him, but I don't really trust him. Tell me what he need to do. Yeah, it's this... That's not going to end well ever. Yeah. Like Bryce Young got to be around there like, bro, what am I supposed to do? Keep it in mind that he was out here kicking it with Nick Saban, who if nothing else, kept it tight. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, like, like we, we, we keep it tight down. Here. Who are you going to go talk to at uni- – forget University of Alabama. Who are you going to go talk to in the entire state of Alabama that is above Nick Saban? There's no choice. There's nobody you can go. You can't go snitch to nobody. You cannot what, go around. You know what I mean? Like, it's impossible to go around Nick, to go above Nick Saban. Like, unless you can go to church and you got a direct line, in which case, I'm not so sure how they will react if Jesus, if they could reach him directly. But they're like, yo, I'd like, I'd like a meeting with the president of the board of trustees. <laughs> I'd like to talk about the offense. What? Like, and that's <laughs> as much as like hierarchy makes us all uncomfortable and we don't love it, it. It survived for a long time because it is easy. It is easy. It to serves understand. a purpose. It, yeah, it serves a purpose. Yeah. Like nobody likes being on the bottom, but, but people really don't like it's chaos though. Like working in a place where ain't nobody in charge is the worst <laughs> somebody has to be in charge like people who uh, are in charge but don't recognize they have to be in yeah. charge are the worst somebody has to be in charge here and like if you don't want to be in charge that's cool you got to hire somebody to be in charge somebody has to be in charge and nick saban is in charge <laughs> the problem is in Carolina, David Tepper is in charge, but he can't really be like he got to be the in charge to make that put, put somebody in charge. Right. Yeah. Like you the ultimate in charge, but somebody else. You can't be the one that's in charge because you're not there enough. Oh, yeah, you can you can have power, but you can't have control like your your decision making yes. control stops once you hire somebody. And whether it's the whether you want the head coach to be running the show or you want the GM to run the show like that's fine. And. You need to make that decision. The only person that should be able to come to you and talk about this stuff is either the GM or the head coach. And you didn't make that clear to everybody else. If you got a problem, talk to your direct report. If you are a position coach and you got an issue, talk to your coordinator. Your coordinator will talk to the head coach. Your head coach will talk to the GM who will then talk to the owner. What you can't have is people is is people going around them and like it seems so obvious but it seems to make this mistake all the time and when you don't yeah when you're at the it's just like it feels like a, a, a disrespect or a, a underappreciation of what it requires to be a head football coach or to be a gm or to run a football team is because it, it seems like that because the owners just want to parachute in in some cases and get a little tidbit here or there and then be like, no, nah, this is what we need to do. Like that to me, it kind of makes me mad. But I mean, it ain't my team. 
We'll see who they get. They're going to have to overpay Ben Johnson if they want to get him out of uh, Detroit because he's going to be the hottest guy. And he rejected them last year. He's from Carolina. They tried to interview him. He's like, no, 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 no. I'm going to go back and, and coordinate like, this offense hey, again. Oh, buddy. Ain't good, buddy. <laughs> he knew that the all money ain't good money. But uh, coming up next, we're going to get this money right fast. But uh, good money, I hope. Anyway, we're going to get this money right fast. But I tell you who else might be getting fired soon. Prize Picks is the most fun you can have by winning up to 25 times your money this football season. And now you can play during basketball season, too. You just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projected stats, and place your entry. And with the NBA back, you can now pick combo projections across football and basketball from the Specials League, a league created specifically for combo projections that includes two or more players from different sports or leagues. Prize Picks is really simple to play. You can make our picks and submit your entry in less than 60 seconds. And if you stick around for the end of the show, you'll get to hear some picks from the producer, Sean, that can either help you win or make you fail miserably. So make sure you go to prizepicks.com slash Bomani and use code Bomani for a first deposit match up to $100. That's prizepicks.com slash Bomani. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. This time of year can be a lot, and it's natural to feel some sadness or anxiety about it. Whether it's seasonal stress from the cold temperatures or the holiday blues from missing your family because you're unable to travel. It can be a tough time for anyone no matter what their situation is, but adding something new and positive to your life can help counteract some of those feelings. One helpful solution can be therapy. Therapy can be a bright spot amid all of the stress and change, and it can be something to look forward to and something to make you feel grounded. Therapy can help you learn positive coping skills and how to set boundaries within your life. It can empower you to be the best version of yourself. And it isn't just for people who have experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. Designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Make your brain your friend with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Bomani today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Bomani. The holidays are right around the corner, and whether you're traveling or enjoying the time off from work, NBA 2K Mobile is the must-play mobile game for all hoop fans. This time of year is when basketball starts to heat up and you can get unbeatable court action in the palm of your hand. Build your perfect dream team by combining legends with rookies or compete in turning mode no matter where you are. You can showcase your skills and learn new ones while climbing the leaderboard. It's the perfect game for basketball lovers and casual NBA fans alike. Download NBA 2K Mobile free and start customizing your dream team today to join the holiday gaming fun. Download NBA 2K Mobile free on the App Store or Google Play. And use promo code Bomani Jones, one word, to receive an exclusive Shaquille O'Neal Pearl Tier card.
All right, uh, welcome back to the right time, Dominique. We like this, honestly, this hasn't been a very interesting NFL season. Like, they, like if we were just gonna talk about the football, the football ain't really giving us this much. I want to give y'all something. Uh, my man uh, Tyler Dunn uh, covered the NFL for a few people. He runs his own. Uh, he running his own operation called Go Long. You know, when I see people who making it happen, who I know do good work, I throw them a little money, but I don't always be reading. You know, like I ain't always listening to the podcast, but I want to support this time. I saw the emails came through. It was three in a row, and he's got a series about the Buffalo Bills and what's wrong. And the answer in three parts is Sean McDermott. Uh, I thought that I was kind of stepping out on a limb earlier this year. I forget which game it was where I was like, hey, man, you, I think after they fired Dorsey, I was like, okay, so you know he's next, right? Like the, he moved out the one coordinator. They just moved out coordinator number two. And I want you to hear this right fast. This is from the first installment of Tyler Dunn's series on uh, Sean McDermott. He says here, um, is is something he talks to talking to a former coach. He says, uh, how how McDermott is quick to blame everyone but himself in defeat. That's why one coach in June began by asking a simple question. If they fail again this year, who does what does ownership do with Shaw? Three seconds later, he answered his own hypothetical. Next year, if they fail, you know who'll be the first person he serves up? Ken Dorsey. Mm-hmm. who, as you may know, does not have a job. But anyway, got a whole bunch of stuff about McDermott not being the one to take responsibility everything else. But every now and then, you read an anecdote in the story that's just, I got to share this. Mm-hmm. And Dominic, I feel bad that I have already shared it with you so you don't get the 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 the, the, the oomph of hearing this for the first time. <laughs> to be clear, I will be sending my $10. Yeah. <laughs> Like, this is kind of amazing, and I think it's still going to hit you the same way. Should I tell it to him like I told you with the two stories, or should I just go straight to the story? Tell them both. Tell them both. They both are are gems. Okay. 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 So I'm reading this word for word, Tyler. I hope this is not a copyright infringement, but I feel like the people deserve it. Take the Niagara Falls speech. In December 2021, locals will recall the news of a woman deliberately driving into the waterway that spills into the falls. She drifted down the Niagara River before her vehicle was lodged against the rock about 50 yards from the brink. McDermott studied up and pieced together a speech. The coach explained how members from the Coast Guard did everything they could to save the woman. The woman. He built up the drama. Players held on tight for an inspiring apex and nothing. Said the woman died. (laughs) End of story. The complete absence of a point had some players biting their tongues, trying their hardest not to laugh. Can you imagine being in there hearing that story? And the end of it is, can't win them all. (laughs) Right? But hold on. Here here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. And to be clear, Tyler Dunn says, seven stories confirm what I'm about to tell you. Oh, God. Okay. At St. John Fisher College in Pittsburgh, New York, McDermott's morning address began innocently enough. He told the entire team they needed to come together. But then, sources on hand say, he used a strange model. The terrorists on September 11th, 2001. He cited the hijackers as a group of people who were able to get on the same page to orchestrate attacks to perfection. One by one, McDermott started asking specific players in the room questions. What tactics do you think they used to come together? A young player tried to methodically answer. What do you think their biggest obstacle was? A veteran answered, TSA, (laughs) which mercifully lightened the mood. 
No one could fathom this insanity. Bruh! I hate that I was not there for either of those moments. I love shit like that. I would have loved to be there. The first story, as I'm listening to it the second time, I'm thinking, all right, even though it's been corroborated by a number of different people, they could hate this man. And there is a way that someone else there could tell that story in a way that was like, nah, it wasn't bad. It was inspirational. Like I could understand even if the woman died, I wouldn't have chosen this, but you could spin that to we lost with 13 seconds left. But you know what? Those rescue people, they came back the next day and they was ready to rescue again. And you know what they did to follow in rescue opportunity? They rescued a motherfucker. And that is okay. But then you <laughs> told the second story and you don't even have to get through that thing. As soon as you said nine, eh, you ain't even had to get the vent out. You nine, Ellie, Ellie, you hit the Ellie. I was like, I'm out. If this came out of this man's mouth, there is no way that you like. And the sentiment, I guess the core of it is like, you got to be, you got to persevere and you got to sacrifice for your team. Like that's an understandable sentiment. And maybe there's a way you can tie this to them. But why? But why? There's so many other organizations. There's so many other people besides the ones (laughs) that that, um, enacted the biggest Terrorist attack on American soil. You ain't never heard of D. You ain't never heard of DJ. <laughs> there you go. You ain't never heard it's of right DJ. There. That's, that's, they, all, that's all. They I'm put saying. out two movies a year <laughs> about it. It's two movies a year about D Day. Put that on there. I want to know who on his staff or in the room or whatever. There had to be somebody that wanted to save him, right? Like when I used to work with Dan Levitard, on two different occasions, he was going too far with Mike Tyson. One of them was on radio. One with them. One of them was on television. Mike was not in the room, but that's not the point. Both of them were with Mike Tyson, and Mike had made it kind of clear he was not a pre- politely but firmly he was not appreciating what was going on. My line stepping ass co-host is still trying to get a little more, and then finally, I have to say at some point, "Hey, hey, Mike, thanks so much. Thanks so much for the time, Mike. We'll talk to you. We'll, we'll talk to you again soon." <laughs> Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Mike. Right? Because somebody, I, I see what's happening here. And I'm like, okay, I got to stop the fight. Right? Like, I got to jump in. I got to wave my hand. I got to be the one to stop it. Somebody, when McDermott said 9-11, there had to be somebody in there ready to change the subject. But football don't work like that. You have to let that man crash and burn in front of everybody. Because once you get in there and save him, he ain't the boss no more. They don't do, yeah. I mean, that's that's how uh, Antonio Pierce ended up the head coach in Oakland because the the boss was like, "Hey, let him do this." But all right, so a couple things. One, again, I'm not off the fact that you had you could have chose flight 93. You could have chose the people in there who stood like you could have stayed in that controversy and chose the right side. But that aside, we all. I can't speak for for everybody, but I one of the reasons why I like doing this show with you is I know that you pretty good discretion when it comes to these things. And I can have these conversations with you that if I had them with someone else, I know myself. 
I might say a little too much, but I know that I have you there when we have these conversations and you go, you go finesse it and put us, push us back in a situation where ain't nobody going to get fired. We all need it sometimes. Head football coaches don't have it for their speeches. I've been a part of some bad speeches. I've been a part of some bad speeches. Never offensive speeches, though. Like, you don't know who in that room. You don't know who been impacted by this. And it's just a terrible, terrible, terrible idea. I've been a part of speeches that didn't land. And it don't matter. We go out there and play hard anyway. The coaches think that moment is a big deal. I don't know. It doesn't matter. But you do want to give somebody, I do think for people, a story is nice. Giving them a story to grab onto is inspirational. But you want them to be able to envision themselves in that situation. And you want them to be able to identify with this. You want them to be motivated. Why in the hell? Like, you shouldn't. When we write, you get an editor. But there's also a little editor in your brain that's like, nah, homie, you can't do that. He don't have that. And he need to send his speeches to somebody else. Doc, I just had to look down and that shocked look that people may have seen on my face as I looked down at the computer. Because at first I was trying to fold and put it away. Then I was like, no, I need to look at this and see if this is what it said again. And this description of Josh Allen is amazing. Uh, number 17 is just a different bird. He's wired different. He's not like most of these quarterbacks. He wants to make dick jokes and run into people. <laughs> I, I mean... Not to pat myself on the back, but I feel like two years, two three years ago, I it. was like, he's a you yeah, he's it. a D line, he he's a D it. lineman with a strong arm, and that's why he has these turnover problems because he <laughs> thinks like a D like he's a big ass football player who wants to break stuff and and rip yeah. that ball into tight windows because he thinks like a D lineman, which is fine. Yeah, he could never play five technique defensive end though, right? Like we would agree that my job is just to be here and hold people up so other people could do it. Nah, dog. I've, I, I do this. <laughs> He's a playmaker. I think, um, I'm trying to think what the best, I mean, D tackle might be feel like it's definitely not safety. Definitely not safety. He gonna, he'll be a high risk. Oh, high no, no, he cost you, he cost you too many games. Yeah, He gonna get, he gonna he win you a too couple because he, he got a feeling, <laughs> but he also gonna lose your couple. He, 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 he Roy Williams. <laughs> Maybe uh Heroy Williams, the, the cowboy. Yeah, oh yeah, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. And they, they might have to change the rules for him too. It feels like a Marcus Peters cornerback situation out there too. But he gonna hit you. Well, I'd hate to be caught in it with Marcus Peters, because I'd hate to have to be the one to try to talk to him about it. <laughs> talk to him about it. No. That's so yeah, <laughs> nah. You knew what it was when you signed up. Like, you talk to Marcus Peters about what? Like, you know what you get with Marcus Peters? It's going to be boom and bust, and that's fine. He's going to keep the team fired up, that's for sure. There are very few people who look exactly who they like who they are to Marcus <laughs> Peters. Like, 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 Marcus Peters walk in the room, I know exactly who that is. The second he gets there, I don't know nothing about, like, what his clothes be like, yeah. anything else. Every interview or anything I've seen with Marcus Peters is just like, oh, five seconds in. I have the profile directly in front of me. And I, that mental makeup is not something you can teach. It is outstanding. It has made him play that very difficult position for a long, long time quite effectively. But just the the confidence in it, I mean, you call it cornerback's confidence, but there are different scales of it. He is at the high end of it. To be able to have the faith to jump routes the way that he used to jump routes and run – 
I couldn't do it. So I'm sitting here with you. Cause at a certain point I was like, Oh, it's third and six. They probably going to run a slant. They probably going to run a slant. But what if they slant and go me? But what if they slant and go? Oh shit. They ran the slant first down. All right. Line it up. Play again. Marcus Peters like, Oh, third and six slant time. I'm out. It's going to be a pick six yep. or it's going to be six. <laughs> and you know what? I, I am not afraid of the reaction. No matter which way it goes, man, it's cold. Yeah. You're like, maybe they. Maybe they do. Maybe they don't. Maybe. So. Right. And just, just like, just some, just, just hundred percent Oakland. Look at you. Maybe. We, then what? You, yeah, I think you were the, the one who kind of gave me the history of Oakland's connections with the great mi- migration and all the talent that ended up in that oh, area. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Texas. I don't know where, it's Texas. I don't know where his kin is from, from, but he gave me the feeling that. He, well, I mean, just about everybody there was black people there were um, connected to that. But yeah, I love him. I love watching him play. Texas, Louisiana, and Arkansas. That's basically where we're getting there. Uh, before we go, you and I both saw something that started on the internet. I guess I contributed to it a little bit. Wes Welker, who I'm, I think is hating, but basically got out here and said Tyreek Hill is better than Randy Moss. And the explanation being that Tyreek Hill can run the whole route tree. And let me be clear about something. Tyreek Hill is a Hall of Famer, right? Like, I think Tyreek Hill right now is probably the best wide receiver in the NFL, and you could try to argue against it because he's not as big as other dudes and da-da-da and everything else, but he a problem, dog. He a problem in that way. But, guys, this Randy Moss thing, maybe you just had to be there. I don't know if the clips are going to show do justice or whatever it is. The thing that makes Randy Moss different is Randy Moss could outrun everybody the same way Tyreek Hill could outrun everybody. But on the off chance that Randy Moss didn't outrun you, no big deal. He's going to jump up and go high point that thing with timing that nobody else has. And I don't think Tyreek Hill has that, and that's no insult to Hall of Famer Tyreek Hill. Randy Moss, I've never been so definitive in my opinion on who the second greatest anything is of all time. But my Randy Moss is number two, and it don't matter who you got for number three. It's sturdy. Yeah, and, and Jerry Rice, I'm assuming, is your number one <clears throat> because of what he – yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. It's, I think Jerry Rice might be the greatest offensive football player of all time. That's fair to say. Jerry Rice, the, the highlights are not as impressive um, as Randy Moss because nobody's are. Um, I want to be – Fair to Tyreek Hill. So when he first came in the league, super fast. And I was like, oh, yeah, super fast. Whoa, what a player. And then his second year, he's putting a big number. So I really broke it down. He has the acceleration. And normally you don't have both. So like as a cornerback, I hated playing against. I was I didn't mind playing against tall guys. I didn't mind playing against fast guys. What I hated playing against were like the shifty guys, like um, I don't know who I'm thinking, Deion Branch, like guys like that. If you have an accurate quarterback and a guy who can change directions really quickly, it's hard to stay with them. The thing about Tyreek Hill is he's both. He's incredibly fast. He changed directions really quickly. He accelerates faster than anybody I've ever seen. So you see him catch like a curl and then turn around and face up everybody and everyone's feet are still. And he is at 70 miles an hour before that. These other guys get to 30. All impressive. I will say Tyreek Hill incredible ball skills. He can track the ball. He can jump up and win um, 50-50 balls. It's all incredible and great. 
Randy Moss is 6'5 and ran faster than everybody on the field and could had the ball <laughs> skills that it didn't matter. So the difference between the two of in them. Hands. Yeah, in hands. And, and he got a term. So, like, we still doing it today. Kids now who were born <laughs> after Randy Moss retired, still my son's friends, they play a game, and it's just like uh, three fly essentially with a football, but they call it Moss. They just call it Moss. Just 10-year-old kids, just like, let's go play Moss. The thing about Randy Moss is we say this sometimes that you don't have to read coverages. Randy Moss will win you the MVP, and you don't have to read a thing. Just turn and throw it up. Throw it up. What's the coverage? One, two, three, four, five. I don't care. Throw it over there. Tyreek Hill will break your coverage, but Tyreek Hill ain't the guy that you could just throw it in that direction. So I'm certainly not taking anything away from him. I think his impact. I would love to see him win the MVP this year, and this may be just our bias, but what Randy Moss did to the game, I'm trying to think of somebody else who we dropped in and was like, oh, this is new. We ain't never seen this before. This is brand new. That first year of Randy Moss in the NFL. And we had heard about this Randy Moss thing, right? Yeah. And they kept telling us that Randy Moss was like, he was basically, it was like when Doggy Style came out, right? <laughs> I was listening Randy to that yesterday. Randy caught a couple charges. Funny. Yeah. Got a couple charges. They knew he smoked weed. You know what I'm saying? Like, he was the most dangerous man football had ever seen. The same way that Snoop was seen as being the most dangerous dude ever because Snoop had their murder charge, even though nobody thought he pulled the trigger. Neither here nor there, right? Like, they were figures who emerged in that same way, but they was also immediately at the top of the game. But the difference was when Snoop did G-Thang and all them other tracks, deep cover, we got to hear him, Right. We heard about Randy Moss. Like, he was down there doing it at Marshall. He was a Heisman Trophy finalist, but wasn't nobody really watching those games. He did it in one double-A, and then he did it in that one year, but we just knew about it. You'd heard that he was supposed to go to Florida State. You'd heard he was supposed to go to Notre Dame, but you didn't really see it until this Monday night game Mm. at Lambeau Field, Mm. and he looked like a man playing against children children i can't the whole year it was like watching somebody play a video game on pro where you're like okay we're just gonna run all goes with that dude and people say well randy didn't run the whole route tree why y'all asking randy to run a four why y'all want randy to why is he not running a nine every goddamn time i wouldn't know how to run nothing but a nine if i was him the he doesn't run the whole route tree is equivalent to saying you don't know how to handle a handgun, but you got nukes. So <laughs> what I need to pat pat for? What I need to pew pew for if I can kaboom? Like, what he does to games. Are you te- yeah. or, or like you tell you you telling me that Shaq ain't got to turn around 17 footer. He don't? Damn. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> I ain't seen Shaq's dream shake. Okay, watch him break this whole statue. Oh, what? <laughs> <laughs> Why does this matter? It is irrelevant. Why does this matter? And I and, and I saw Wes Walker talk that run the whole route tree, and I know why that rolled off his toes so easy. He's the receivers yeah. coach in Miami, just to be clear. 
But I know why I rolled off his tongue so easy. Because he done said that same shit about himself. And I know he has. Because I used to have people trying to get on the internet and try to tell me that somehow there was some way that you could conceive of a world where Wes Welker was better at Randy Moss. And whatever Wes Welker is better at doing than Randy Moss is, that shit is not that important. I'm just telling you right now. It don't matter that much. No matter what it is, it don't matter that much. Yeah. Um. I, I imagine somebody saying, but Dan Marino can't run the option. He don't scramble that good. <laughs> so that ain't what his job is. That boy, yeah, like his his wonder lick ain't strong. So we don't need him to do math problems. We need him to throw that thing. He ain't reading no coverages. He know where he's throwing it, but he's going to throw it so hard and so accurately that no one's going to catch it. And we ain't going to ask him to run the QB draw. For who, for what? It don't make no sense. That rookie year. And Randy Moss fast. It's like a fast you can't explain. Because like yeah. even like when you watch Usain Bolt run the 100, it's like, wow, he's 6'5". But there's a point where you look at his legs going, and you're like, oh, that's going really fast. It don't look that way when Randy Moss was going fast. All you knew was that nobody else was going as fast. It didn't seem like he was trying that hard. Like, you seen that clip of D'Angelo Hall talking about checking Randy Moss in the preseason? Yep. If you, if for those of you who have not seen it, D'Angelo Hall who made all his money at the combine that year because he ran a crazy, like a, like a sub 4-4-40. The Falcons gave him number 21, which they had not done, as I recall, up to that point since Dion had left. And he is playing Randy Moss, and please understand he gave him cushion. Like, it wasn't like he was out here in the preseason trying to show off on Randy Moss, but somehow Randy Moss decided he just wanted to humble this young man. Randy Moss took maybe five steps, threw the hand up. He hadn't even got to this dude yet. He just knew it. D'Angelo Hall, who I'm sure has never lost a race in his life, is like, cool, I got it. I got, I, I got, I got dusted. Just dusted. D'Angelo Hall. I appreciate, I appreciate you using D'Angelo Hall as the person that you're going to talk about. I appreciate it. Cause I'm sitting right here and I ran a 4-3-2 at the combine and I also <laughs> played against Randy Moss and I can tell you, sir, that but I don't I need no D'Angelo. I don't need no D'Angelo Hall video to tell me what that man could do. Oh, yeah. I had a very different strategy. My strategy was, oh, yeah, 20 and under. That's all you, Randy. You got it, player. You got it. If y'all want to go, if y'all want to go 20 yards, a pop down the field, you got it. What I'm not going to be is in your highlight with you throwing your hand up on my ass. Nah, 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 nah. And you to. He made Tom Brady, not that Tom Brady's not good. And he wasn't great before or after Randy Moss. He made Tom Brady like legendary. I, 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 that season, yes. you don't even have it to. never been have, like that. I don't have to tell you which season Randy Moss was with Tom Brady. Go look at Tom Brady's, all his career stats. You can guess. You can figure it out yeah. when he ain't No, no, no. It, it was one where people, if you wanted to elevate what you thought about Tom Brady, you'd say he didn't have weapons of die, die, die. It's like, yeah, okay. And keep in mind, the Patriots had to give up more draft capital, as I recall, to get Wes Welker than they had to give up to get Randy Moss. Like, people thought in 2007 that Randy Moss was finished because it didn't go right in Oakland, which, I mean, come on, guys. Think about this for a second. Anyway, it was the first game. Randy Moss ran past three people, one of whom I believe was Darrell Revis to catch that touchdown. And Tom Brady just heed that bitch up there. And it was like, oh, okay. So, yeah, this Tom Brady guy is that good. And the legend of Randy Moss's demise has been grotesquely exaggerated. You watch the highlights, aren't you? <laughs> that man had 23 touchdowns. 23. 23. And, and I'm sure it could have been worse. Oh, tw- 23. 
23 touchdowns. I feel like teams don't have 23 touchdowns. He has 17 as a rookie. But let us not forget, the record was 22 in 12 games by Jerry Rice. But I think I've told you my explanation as to how that happened, right? It was the, it yep. was the strike season. He was the only one that was in yep. shape. That's right. It was the strike season of 1987. And while these dudes is out here, we ain't never coming back. Jerry Rice still out on this hill right now. I, I, did we talk about this here when they got the commercial with the old men in it? The um, Whichever. Yep. And all of them look like old men in that commercial, except for Jerry Rice. Not once is Jerry Rice betrayed any of that. While them cats is out there smoking weed, eating chicken, drinking brew. Right, like season was season. Jerry Rice was ready because also I want to. I feel like uh, Reggie White had something like twenty one sacks or something like that in that year. Like the dominant dominated. He, yeah, Randy he, still had five touchdowns in his final season. He did. And by the way, that was after he had a year that he did not play. And if you watch that team play a lot, which I recall doing. Alex Smith, when he had the job, did a lot of not throwing the ball to Randy Moss, and Randy Moss was still open deep. That's the um, Alex Smith is like a really smart guy and conservative quarterback. That's when it. That's when there's a drawback. I know. I, I normally laugh when they be like, "Hey, this guy's a little too smart. He's a nah, little too nah, smart nah. to play quarterback." If you so smart, if you so smart that you don't understand, throw it at Randy. Yes. Then yeah, oh, you're that's too the smart. Thing, man. Sports is not for thinkers. Sports is for reactors. Like you can think it all out before you get there, and that's fine. But it's for reactors. I do not think that uh, you would rather Dan Marino do your taxes than me. However, if you need somebody to get that ball out before the big boys come get you, Dan Marino got you because Dan Marino is a reactor. Just a big old reactor. A <laughs> nuclear reactor. There are different types of intelligence. I I very much believe that. I think most of, much of my life I just be like, hey, that guy's smart. And, uh, and I think that gets a lot of people in trouble. We can go back to David Tepper, where it's like he's had success somewhere. So he's like, I'm smart. I can do this. Nah, there's different types of intelligence. And one of those things is social intelligence, and he don't have it. No, Alex Smith be out there like I would be in the pocket, be like this. Hold on one second, one second. Let me make sure. Let me make sure. <laughs> no, 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 no. You got to think about this, though, because it could. Oh, and then next thing, next thing you know, man, yep. it's over. But Mark- that. Marcus Peters out there like, yep. give me that play. Trayvon Diggs. <laughs> Simple. Give me, give me the play. <laughs> give me that I'm, look, play. I'm, I'm just making a move on this one, baby. But that is Dominique Foxworth. Check him out on the Dominique Foxworth Show, available wherever you get your podcast. My man, I appreciate you. Thank you. All right. And ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much for joining us here on The Right Time. But before we go, we have got my man, Sean. Uh, Sean, you got some picks for the people for the prize picks? I certainly do, and the mic is on today. Um, I'm taking, <laughs> <laughs> I'm taking Bajan Robinson, uh, sixty-seven and a half rush yards. I'm taking more there. Christian McCaffrey, one hundred fourteen and a half rush and reception yards. I'm taking more. Devon A. Chain, seventy-six and a half rush and reception yards. Taking more as well. And Debo Samuel, I'm taking more than four receptions. All right, and guys, hit the voicemail line, 323-596-7767. Ask anything. I'll try to highlight your questions. 323-596-7767. And that is Sean Yu who handles everything behind the scenes. Thank you, sir. Remember to follow the right time. Subscribe, like, rate us, review us. Give us five stars. You only give us four stars, I'm inclined to believe. You are a hater. We'll talk to you guys in a couple of days. Take it easy. Take it easy.